And so we've really crystallized the process of how to actually start a successful venture because it has never been easier in human history than it is right now. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Larry Roberts back with another awesome episode of the Readily Random Podcast. And today we've got a guest with us that's going to tell us his story about how he transitioned into an entrepreneurship type role. And then not only did that, but through his own experiences and even some of the lessons learned along the way, he fired up a program that can help you do the exact same thing. But maybe you could do it a little bit easier. Maybe you could bypass some of the hurdles that he encountered. So let's get right into it with Chris Michael Harris. Chris, welcome to the show. What's up, brother? Thanks for having me, man. I I mentioned before, I want to comment, but your backdrop is just... It's a nerdgasm. I mean, it's unbelievable. I love it. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you can say that and people not get offended anymore, right? Used to, you I could say not. nerdgasm, nerdgasm, and you would insult somebody, right? It has become in vogue to kind of be a nerd now, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's, but it's a fun transition. I dig it because I can finally give into it and, you know, kind of be public with my nerdisms, right? And not hide in shame. So <laughs> that's cool, man. I love it. Love it. Thanks again for joining me. I think you bring so much to the table with what you're doing. If you don't mind, go ahead and tell us about Startup You and tell us how it kind of came about. Totally, man. I'm right there with you. Yeah. So, man, I was in the middle of, we'll get to kind of how I quit my job and, you know, started my own business because so, so many people do it so painfully. <laughs> for lack of a better term. So I was building this first business, which we ended up launching from my college apartment to multi-millions in just 36 months, which was a crazy story. We can get into that, absolutely. But anyway, so while I'm going through this process of growing this business, and I constantly found myself saying, man, if I had only known that six months ago, that being what the learning curve, right? They call them growing pains, not growing pleasures of growing a business. And those things get really costly. The more money you make, those decisions get more and more literally fiscally costly as you go through the process. And so I remember I kept telling either my mentors or my friends, I'm like, one day I'm going to start a school for entrepreneurs. And lo and behold, here we are some seven, eight years later. And I just said, I want to create resources. Albeit, you know, I'm not the first now. This was before there were info products and stuff like that. So I was a little bit ahead of the curve, just not physically actually ahead of the curve as much as I maybe could have been. But one of the things that we did find though is kind of cutting through the noise. There's a lot of there's a lot of voices out there giving advice, their ninja strategies, their hacks, you know, whatever influencer types. And I'm not here to throw stones, but we all know who those people are that maybe aren't as legitimate as they'd like to appear to be and maybe haven't actually built a quote unquote real company before. And so we wanted to kind of take the knowledge that we gained through that experience building that first business in the offline space and then educate people on how to make the transition more successfully, aka how to quit more successfully. So Startup U was born and we're going to have an entire suite of programs inside of Startup U, but starting with the flagship program, which is Startup Launch Factory. And that is literally womb to tomb, everything you need to know from validating your idea. Like, this is cool to me, but are people going to pay me for it? Like, how can I use the data that's on the internet right now? So I'm not conjuring up something in my own mind. I can actually find out not only if people will buy it, but how much will they pay? And then how do I take that and reverse engineer it and put it into my marketing? And then where do I market to begin with? Because I see people chasing all these shiny objects on social media, but is that really where you start? And we kind of break a lot of preconceived notions about doing that. And we've really mechanized because we've now done this. We're working on a third time to grow a multi seven figure business all before my wife and I turned 30. We did it multiple times. And so we've really crystallized the process of how to not guarantee, 
but grossly enhance your abilities or your likelihood rather to actually start a successful venture because it has never been easier in human history than it is right now. So that's what Startup U really is. They're gonna have a lot of resources, but the flagship one right now is Startup Launch Factory. How did you have the understanding or, or the need that you understood the need for something like this? I mean, was it because you had such a hard time making the transition yourself? Because I mean, it, you know, when I was in my mid twenties, I, I was running around trying to be world champion karate guy and, and chasing tail and this and that. And, and you're sitting here forming multi seven figure businesses. E- even as an entrepreneur myself, I know that I fell prey to the hype that's out there. You kind of touched base on it a little bit with the hype engines that are talking about how easy it is and how you just jump out there and they haven't really done it themselves, but they're telling you how to do it. How did you get through all the noise and realize, man, there is definitely a need and an opportunity here at the same time for people to really go through and understand the process of becoming a successful entrepreneur? Yeah, so great question. So there's this is a kind of a two, two-pronged answer here. So the first is scratching your own itch, right? A lot of people try to come up with these new fancy, sexy ideas. The reality of the situation is you probably have things in your life right now that are just an utter pain in the ass, right? And so I'm a firm believer in finding real solutions to viable, or rather other way around, real or viable solutions to real problems, right? So you see real problems that exist in your own world, as simple as they may be. I always say this, somebody's out there making bank, I don't even know who this person is, I need to research it for my own purposes when I tell the story, off of coffee sleeves. Little cardboard thing that's just cut out flits. You know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they're crushing it. Right, so it, you're, so too many people get too married to this idea of like, my idea has to be this like grandiose, you know, like really extensive, multiple iteration concept. It just like changes the world. And it's like, dude, my first business, we went from nothing to $1.2 million in a very short period of time with a local moving company in a mid-market town of 110,000 people. All right, like that's, so so it was literally just seeing this industry really sucks. It's built around middle-aged men that quite frankly, it's kind of weird coming into your college apartment or dorm. What if we just hired students and took a more white collar approach to blue car industry? Exploded, right? And so that turned into a lot of different things. So that's the first part of that. The second part of that is full immersion. So a lot of people, they'll have an idea for for a concept and they maybe they are thinking I'm scratching my own itch. And then they don't go the step, the next step, which is to then fully immerse yourself in the market to understand the nuance to a degree where you find where the underserved segment of that market really lives, right? And or how to speak to those specific ideal client avatars. So I'll give you the perfect example of this because I think it's really relevant. I had Chip Conley come on my show. He's the right-hand man to Brian Chesky. Brian Chesky is the CEO and, and founder of Airbnb. Chip told me, he said, when Airbnb took off and they got this crazy valuation, it was like $30 billion, something outrageous. The hotel chains were scratching their heads internally. They could not figure out for the life of them How? Because they didn't see any discernible difference in their own measurables, meaning their own data, right? Financially speaking. So they're they're literally baffled. What they found was that Airbnb had tapped into an underserved segment of the market that only A, would travel to friends and family, right? So they they, they they didn't afford to stay at hotels, so they would only travel to see friends and family, places they could stay for free, or they didn't travel at all, right? So they just created or tapped into a a segment of the market that just didn't exist. So when people say, I can't cut through the noise, I tell them two things. A, you, haven't, you don't fully understand your market because it's not something that you're fully acclimated to. But then two, you haven't done the work, or B rather, I said A, so B, 
you have not dug into it enough to understand your ideal client avatar to such a degree that you speak their language, understand their pains and understand the solution that they're looking for. So those are the two biggest things. So for me, it was living it. It was going through that process day in, day out, 18 hours a day, understanding what I was experiencing and then mechanizing that process, not only for myself, but entrepreneurs are smart, right? Entrepreneurs figure out how to take life experiences and turn them into monetization, turn into helping other people. And that's pretty much all I've done, right? Not to make things overly simplified, but that's literally all I did. Talk to me about this avatar thing you keep bringing up. I, I know we hear the term. I know it's a very critical component to focusing in your niche and determining exactly what services may or may not be a good fit for what you're trying to do. Talk to me more about identifying that. I think people kind of overlook this aspect of what they're trying to do and go, I don't need to, I'm, it goes to everybody. I'm, I'm here for everybody. And really, if you're looking at everybody, the odds are you're really kind of talking to nobody. So talk to me more about that. How, as entrepreneurs, how can we tap into that and really identify the true needs and desires of an ideal, quote unquote, avatar? Yeah, so you hit the nail on the head when you said you end up speaking to no one. And that's what we often see is uh, people going through this process will A, identify a market and identify a real problem. But here's the deal. Let's say you've got a household and your product, you know, delivers something to help within the household. And you haven't identified whether I'm going to speak to the female of the house or the male of the house or whatever the situation may be, right? You know, obviously the world is different. You know, people are, you know, married to same sex and what have you. So, but let's say for a traditional standpoint, you've got a male, female, husband and spouse, husband and wife scenario here. We all know that speaking to a husband, what appeals to a man is entirely different than what appeals to a woman. More importantly, the language that's used and the challenges, even in their own home, right? My wife's experience inside of our home is completely different than my own experience inside of our home, right? Because we just have different functions. We have different roles. We have different perceptions of reality as it relates to running our household, as it relates to running our home. So here's the problem. When you don't cut deep enough speaking to that avatar, right? Speaking their unique language, speaking to their direct challenges. What ends up happening is this. You have to go more macro on your marketing message. When you go more macro to appeal to a broader audience, you don't hit them enough. You don't use the right words. I call them power words. My power words are different than my wife's power words, right? Like what I perceive or what I want out of a potential solution that helps with whatever capacity, let's say, going back to my example, inside of our home, what I want versus what she wants, the words that speak to her versus the words that speak to me, entirely different. So if you try to market just to households, even at that high level, you're not gonna hit either of us because it's not gonna speak, or it's not gonna ring true to us. So a lot of people think like, well, if I do that, if I really niche down, right, and focus on one particular avatar, then I'm limiting my market potential, I'm limiting my revenue capture. But here's the deal, what you do is this. In the movie company, I had 12, 12 ideal client avatar profiles. I started with one, right? So it was sorority females because during those summer months, parents have money, they're paying for them to be in a sorority, so it's higher disposable income. But also too, they were in build, they were in you know sorority houses with a lot of them so we could move the whole house, right? So that was a huge potential opportunity for us. We could go and we all knew they had chapter meetings every month. So it's a great opportunity to get in front of them. So we really knew and just spoke the language of sorority girls. And it wasn't too hard for us as young single men. It wasn't, you didn't have to twist <laughs> my arm to go to chapter meetings, I can tell you that. Oh, darn it. Right. So what ends up happening though, is as you've really nailed that avatar, right? Then you start to incorporate and find common denominators amongst other avatar profiles and, or what you can do is you can splinter your marketing. So the beautiful thing about platforms like Facebook now is you can literally derive different advertising campaigns 
uh, that other people literally, so if you ran a commercial, let's say you put a billboard or you put a commercial on TV, I can't say, I want someone like Larry to see this ad, right? So I have to hope, right? I'm paying all this money to reach this broad audience, right? But then I have to hope that there's like this little tiny sliver that reaches somebody like Larry, right? So you're, there's a lot of waste in there. And that's why Google ads are so expensive because you're just applying to anybody that clicks on one search term versus a specific individual of a specific type, right? So it allows you to get a lot more condensed and compete better on the auction block and get your ad, your ad costs lower. Well, here's the deal. If I develop these avatar profiles, starting with one first, right? Nailing that one, because you can literally scout a seven figure plus offer with just one avatar, one ad, one funnel and one offer, and that's it. And people make it way too complicated but you can splinter that off going forward, right? To, idea, to appeal to more of those avatar profiles, speaking their unique language, where that particular ad will not show up to someone outside of that particular avatar. Meaning you can be very precise to those specific avatars and speak their language. And then if you wanna scale it out further than just one or two to three avatar profiles, you can absolutely do that. So that's kind of what it is. It's getting to the point where you understand them at a deep level, enough that you speak the language that resonates with them, that moves the needle closer to a sale. And it's fundamentally the most important thing you can do outside of using data to really assess your market and figure out, is this viable and will people pay for it? You know, I think you brought up an interesting point and it's something there that I haven't heard often and I've recorded hundreds of podcast episodes, talked to hundreds of entrepreneurs over the last several years. And it's not often, if ever, that I've heard someone mention multiple customer avatar profiles. So generally when we're talking about an avatar, we're talking about one profile. It's one avatar, yeah. it's one demographic. So what you're saying though, is you can take that product and identify multiple avatars that you specifically customize your presentations to in order to move the needle or make the sale to that particular profile or that particular avatar. Yeah, that's, so that's an advanced pro tip. So a lot of people, if they're, if you're in the six figure range, you're probably not dealing with more than one client avatar profile because you're, you haven't hit scale yet. When you hit scale, then you want to start broadening your audience and speaking to more of those avatar profiles, right? So I'm not saying that other people that you've interviewed haven't necessarily hit that point, but that's a more sophisticated marketing approach that I would only recommend to people that haven't hit six figures. If you have not, rather, if you have hit six figures, right, then you can start thinking about expanding that out into hitting seven and beyond by taking those additional avatar. But if you have not hit six figures yet, I'm not trying to overcomplicate your life. Focus on the one first. Well, you know, and I love what you're saying there, but at the same time, I think that could provide some sort of reassurance for people that are struggling with that avatar concept. You know, I help people launch podcasts and so many times we're trying to identify their audience. Who are you trying to talk to? Who's the podcast for? Why would someone listen to this podcast? And of course they wanna go as broad as possible because everybody has those delusions of Joe Rogan grandeur and they wanna reach everybody, but they don't understand that you're not gonna hit everybody right out of the gate. But what you're saying can kind of provide that buffer, maybe provide that little security in the fact that look, this is your initial profile. This is your initial avatar. This is who we're really, this is who's really, if you're looking for anybody to listen, this is them. But guess what? We can expand on that over time. We can expand on that once you reach that intermediate level, once you reach that advanced level. There's a metaphor that I use that maybe helps people kind of visualize what this looks like. So I always call it looking, view it like an arrow, right? So when I shoot an arrow, the, the, the tip of it is very, very sharp, right? Because it's very localized. It's, it comes to a point. As it further, as it continues to penetrate into whatever your target is, 
it expands, right? Because it requires less of that concentrated effort to be able to really continue to penetrate. So that's the metaphor I like to use to people because they do see it as so limiting. It's like, I have to talk to one specific person all the time. And it's like, no, no. But Facebook, even Facebook started with one market, right? Harvard, only appealing to not even faculty and staff, just students. Now they service half the world, right? It has a Facebook account. But so you start really, really localized and isolated and very focused. But as you continue to penetrate, what you find is that A, you have broader appeal, but also two, you're able to increase your marketing spend. A lot of people like to be able to penetrate a market with a broad focus, you have to spend a lot of money, right? To be able to reach enough people, like we said, to aggregate enough people like Larry's to be able to listen to your show or people that resonate with those common denominators. But as you go, you will learn more about your market to speak to those common denominators that they all share that resonate enough but you just don't start that way because it's just too complicated. It requires too much money, too much effort. And you just, it's juggling too many variables at once, right? There's just too many inputs you're having to manage to figure out like, okay, what's really resonating with people. So it just creates a lot of confusion. Well, and I, I think that's cool too, because you mentioned the fact that having that narrowed focus and that, that well-defined avatar allows you to actually focus on that avatar and lower your advertising costs. So many times we think that we have to spend tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands to get a business off the ground. Don't get me wrong, it doesn't hurt. But it's not necessary if you do the homework up front. You know, I used to use Google AdWords. That was I, I started a, a pool company, a swimming pool company from scratch and built it up and eventually sold it. And I used Google AdWords back then. But, and I was removed from Google AdWords for several years and I came back with another business idea and I started looking, I was like, oh my God. Yeah, $30 a click or something outrageous, yeah. Yeah, how would you ever do that now? Now, when I first started doing it, it was Google AdWords was new and there was a Yahoo campaign that was, an, it was another same concept, but Yahoo had their own company doing the same thing there. And it was very inexpensive. I mean, like some of the most expensive clicks were like a buck and that was for high-end legal, you know, lawyers and whatnot. So I'm spending two, three cents a click and it just, it worked. Nowadays that doesn't work. But if we identify our avatar and we do step up to these paid campaigns, these paid platforms like Facebook, we can definitely lower our costs significantly and still increase our reach dramatically without having to go out and hope that we hit the broad side of a barn with this fine little, this little needle in a haystack that we're using here. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it, the good thing is that it's not just the actual co cost per click or the cost of your ads. It's the performance of those ads as well. So if you're able to really speak to a unique ideal client avatar profile, we teach people all the time how to self-liquidate their ad spend. So you offer something immediately. Let's say, okay, let's say, let's say you're going to run a, a cohort webinar, right? That every Thursday you run a webinar in Evergreen. And so you're running ads weekly, right? To join that webinar. When they sign up for the webinar, you immediately offer them something, right? To wait, like, hey, here's this thing while you're waiting for the webinar. It's $9. The webinar's on Thursday. A, you're going to increase your show rate. So you're going to increase people that actually will show up on that Thursday for that webinar. But then also too, let's say it costs you $6 to acquire a person to sign up for the webinar. Well, guess what? If you're, if you're selling something for $9, you're getting people to take that. You're self-liquidating that ad spend. So it's basically like you're paying Facebook or whomever to just give you those leads almost for free, right? And in some cases, you're actually going to make money off of that person. And then it's like, okay, well, if people show up, great, but I'm not putting this pressure on myself to have to sell people on this webinar or else I lose $200 because there was nothing that I liquidated in the meantime. So there's amazing, great ways you can really do better, like you said, not only cost, but also the performance of your ads. And we get so dialed in at times. I'm not saying this to be boastful. I'm just saying that this is possible for other people, but people will comment on our ads and be like, I told you Facebook's listening to me. Just, and it has nothing to do with that. I mean, Facebook might be listening. I have no idea. 
but and they probably are because I'm, I'm starting to be, I wasn't before, but I'm starting to get more conspiratory in that belief. But my tinfoil hat, you will get so dialed in and speak the language of their concerns and of their challenges to such a degree. They will comment and be like, see, Deborah, I told you they're listening, right? And it's just because you understand that market, you understand that person. And then hopefully you create some virality, people sharing that ad in addition to what you're paying to reach people. So anyways, it helps with all facets of, you know, really generating paid traffic that, that converts and makes sales for you. Right. I'm not going to lie. I definitely have a tinfoil hat in that game. So, uh, I do too, I, <laughs> but I'm in Austin. So I think it's like through osmosis via Alex Jones, right? Like he's here. So there's just like, yeah, 100%. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. Man. That's great. So, I mean, we're getting into some weeds here. Honestly, we're getting into some, some fairly in-depth conversation. This is all stuff though, that is included in startup. You, this is the, these are tips and techniques that people can learn through startup. You, this is all like right now, I feel like I'm just repeating what's in Startup Launch Factory. Really and truly <laughs> I do. So this is like a preview to what we're doing. I'm recording these lessons right now. So it's all fresh because I'm revamping the program. I got you. I was going, man, this guy, he knows his material. He is really on point. Well, hopefully yeah. <laughs> I do. Hopefully I do. But it is relevant and fresh for me right now. Absolutely. So tell us more about that, man. Tell us more about Startup U. Where can people find out more about Startup U and whether or not it's a fit for what they're doing? How can it help them make that transition? I know, especially right now, you know, with coming out somewhat of COVID, I know Texas and Florida, we're kind of leading the charge, but everybody's starting to kind of feel like normalcies around the corner. However, at the same time, you know, my wife, she still works for the company where I just quit back in January. And they recently sent out a survey because they know change is permanent on a certain, at a certain scale. People are going to want to work at home more. They're going to need these flex hours. They've experienced it. They've tasted it. And they went, wow, this COVID thing showed me that I can do my job from the house. I can work with my kids and help them with their schoolwork and still do my job and still be present. This is amazing. So I think right now people are more apt than ever to want to make that jump from corporate America, from that straight 40 into more of an entrepreneurial type role. But again, got to be cautious in making that jump. If you jump blindly, I think you're going to get hit with a world of reality and it's going to sting quite a bit. Before I made the jump, I made sure I had some systems in place. I had a support structure in place. I had planned it. I'd been planning it for a couple of years already. COVID just made it happen a lot faster. But how can people take advantage of what you're doing and make sure that they're prepared if they decide to make that transition? Yeah, so I'm glad this comes up because this is the entire premise of Startup Launch Factory in particular is that I made that transition very uh, painfully, right? So went from pretty much knowing my whole life that I had entrepreneurial tendencies. I was always starting little side businesses and lawn care companies and detailing cars and stuff like that. I think you see that trend amongst many of the entrepreneurs. I'm sure you see it yourself interviewing other entrepreneurs. I think we've all, like we were all at one point around the world like mowing lawns at the same time. Like we just had no idea, right? But knew that and got to the point in college where I'm like, I don't know what I want to do still. Like, I think I was clearer in middle school than I was at like senior year of college, which was very concerning to me at the time, right? When entrepreneurship was, wasn't like a viable thing to be just do your own thing was not viable. That was like, it was borderline crazy. Like I was like an insane person. Yeah, I mean, a side hustle has always been a thing for me, but I never looked at a side hustle, at least back in the day as a career. Yeah, as something I can actually do and make six figures or more and support a family and have a home and live that quote unquote American dream. 
without punching a clock or, you know, getting that salary every two weeks. It's weird how it all just ties together, isn't it? That is, that's really amazing. So, so what we see and what I see with my students and my clients alike is that people have the job and the, and their little side hustle, right? That they're, they're trying to work on that, that they hope can, they can nurture into a real business at some point. Now, the problem is that they do one of two things. They do what I did, which is they just jump into the deep end of the pool, hoping that it's deep enough that they're not going to hit their head. Turns out the pool for me was like two inches deep. So, so within six months, I was flat broke. I burned through all my money and the business just, it was growing, but not to the degree that I needed to sustain myself and continue. Like growth requires cash, right? It, it just does. And in a low margin business, it was just, you know, it, it was a, a labor intensive, really expensive. I mean, there's a lot that goes into starting a moving company. So I was in a really bad situation. And thankfully, I just tapped into my extremes and like figured out how to do all these digital marketing things that grew the company quickly. Had that not happened, I would have been burned and then going back into finding a job, which is often what I see with a lot of people where they're like, oh my gosh, I just depleted, you know, my entire 401k. And now I'm in my middle ages, right? And it's like, wow, I have kids about to go to college and I have no idea, you know, so it's not a good situation. The other side of it, what I see, and maybe I see this side more often, people are trying to handle that side hustle. They're trying to balance that side hustle and they stay in that no man's land for too long where they're stretching their bandwidth and they're kind of not really able to fully invest as much as they'd like to. There's so many, there's so much noise out there. Like we talked about with just social media influencers, like, oh, you just post, you know, at 3 a.m. And then, you know, you schedule it this. And it's like, they're putting all this free content. They're doing all this stuff. They're recording a podcast. They're editing YouTube videos. They're doing all this stuff. And they're hoping that eventually that turns into money, right? They're hoping that eventually turns into them monetizing their business. And then what we find is three years later, they're still not monetizing. They're not any clear on what they should be doing, which goes back to what we talked about earlier about using data and developing ideal cloud and avatar profiles. But I don't get back down that track, but that's a big part of the problem that I see. So it really is a process of how can I utilize and leverage the time that I have doing the things that are proven to actually move the needle, right? To start getting customers, start getting, at the end of the day, you can love what your business does, but if you're not generating sales, it's a hobby, right? We're just being honest. It's just a hobby, right? Right. So, so we have to start moving towards how do we leverage the time that we have now to your point, something that's really beneficial that's happened, which is again, why I say it's never been a better time in human history to start a business is that many people are not commuting much to the degree they were before, right? So, Think about it this way. I live 15, 20 minutes from downtown Austin with traffic probably 45, right? So if I was driving to and from downtown every single day, there's an hour and a half, two hours every single day. I'm a big believer in Gary Keller's book called The One Thing. Gary Keller is the founder of Keller Williams, which is the the massive real estate company started here in Austin. He's still here. And he's a big believer in you need to focus four hours a day, that's it, on your one thing. The one thing that is the most important thing that is going to move your business forward for this season of your life and in your business. So what we help people do is we help people first disseminate what's that one thing right now, giving you, which is what Startup Launch Factory does. It's literally step-by-step. It's not have to put it all together. Step-by-step what you should be doing at those particular seasons of your life so that you're not making it more complicated than it has to be. You're not doing things. You're not managing seven social media platforms. When right now, that's not realistically what you should be doing. You should be developing what that core ideal client avatar is, figuring out how I'm going to derive a message that sells that person, right? Using those four hours. And you could do two hours in, in, in the morning. I have a friend that did this. Full-time job, engineering job or something, really demanding. Two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening. Built a seven-figure business before he even left his job. So imagine this. Imagine walking away from a job into now a six or seven figure business, you have subsidized your income so it's an easy decision to make. But so often what people do is either A, they jump like I did and they have no plan whatsoever, right? Jump off the cliff and figure out how to build a plan the way down. 
you've got a lot of urgency. I always say this, you want urgency, but not desperation. I was desperate for it to work and I got very lucky. Or you stay too long working on all this stuff, doing all the social media, not getting any closer, not getting any meaningful progress to where the business just kind of flames out and you just say, well, I wasn't meant to be an entrepreneur, right? So it's a critical moment. And I love that people are playing around with entrepreneurship. I really love that. I love that people are toying with the idea of it. But, we, but it's like going into the kitchen, Larry, opening up the pantry and being like, eh, just throw this and this and this. And you're just kind of throwing stuff together. I mean, I love pizza. Pizza's great, but I don't put egg in my pizza after the pizza's cooked, right? Like it's important that I do things in some kind of order with a recipe, with a blueprint. But so many of us with entrepreneurship, we're just kind of playing around with stuff. We're not really taking it serious. We're just Ikea furnituring it, putting it together just without looking at the directions from people that have actually done it before. So it takes, we, we often make it harder than it has to be and it takes longer than it should. And the problem is that paradoxically, and I love, I'm big into like brain hacking and biohacking and stuff like that. The problem is that paradoxically, right? You start to develop this paradigm in your mind where you literally turn a, a, a molehill into a mountain, right? Where you're looking at this thing and it's not that hard, right? Like getting one offer to one client avatar, right? With one ad and scaling it to six figures. It, it, it literally can be that same. And I'm not here to tell you it's easy because there's a lot of work involved with that. But it, we get so distracted by all this other nonsense, all this other noise, that if we just focused on that for six months, I promise you, you'd be to the point with the right offer and the right audience if you use the data to analyze and assess this is real, which has never been more available than it is right now, that data. You could literally be well on your way, if not fully on your way, with a plan to leave your job. Now let's talk about practical application. Six to 12 months, I'd like to see the business growing for one. It, you, you have no business leaving a job until you actually have consistent customers coming in, right? Like, and when I say consistent, I mean one a day or a couple a week, right? Like proven traction, proven, you know, like, okay, I know now the only thing that's missing is my bandwidth, right? Like more time into doing what I'm doing, right? But a provable, repeatable process. But more importantly, six to 12 months, barring whatever, what your risk threshold is, right? Mine obviously is very high, not as high as it was. I'm not in my twenties anymore. So not as high as it was before. Although I say that and I just poured like another $30,000 into Bitcoin. That's yeah, not like, all that dangerous really. I mean, let's just be honest. You know, maybe if you done 30 grand in Dogecoin, we'd have a different conversation. Not anymore, <laughs> but maybe, right, 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 right. But you yeah, get my 100%. point. So six to 12 months, I could pay for my life. I could pay for the business. I can sustain myself for six to 12 months. The reason being is that, you're going to find quickly that starting a business costs twice as much as you think it takes three times more than what you think it does. Right. And that's just a reality situation. So you don't want to find yourself in that. And moreover, let's say you get four months in of your six months you have in terms of your personal runway and you find mm, this market isn't what I thought it was really. Re I didn't. Now, if you go through the data that I teach, you'll know for sure whether you made that decision or not, whether the market's viable hundred percent. There's no, there's like, that's not even a, that's not even a question. So those checks and balances are all part of startup use. So you can even, even coming out of the gate, you would know for sure. You would know whether it's worth Yeah. You would know whether it's worth pursuing or not. There, I gotcha. Yeah. There's no way you, there's no way you would go through it and not know like this is a market worth pursuing or not. Or this is too saturated, like hundred percent, because that's like the whole first module. That's all we do. Right. Wow. But, okay. Very cool. But by the fourth month, here's what you've got now. You've got two months of reserves, right? And I'm not talking 401k or borrowing money from mom and dad or taking inheritance money. None of that craziness. None of that. You don't touch that money. Invest money. You don't touch that. This is just money you've saved up, right? And if you have to cut some of your living expenses or downgrade your apartment, you have to make some sacrifices. That's what this entails, right? Like you should see the places that I lived. I lived in a little box basically to start my business because I knew that's what I could afford. So you have to make those decisions. But anyways, by month four, going into, you got two months left. Well, guess what? 
you go get a job if it's not working out and you need, or you get a part-time job or you get something to kind of extend that runway. So you're constantly monitoring those things versus being all in face down to the pavement if this doesn't work, right? So it's important that you make that transition successfully because I always say this is important. The dream dies when the bank dries. Your dream will turn into a nightmare if you don't do this right. And you will go back and I see this all the time. People get burned so bad. You bring up, you say the word entrepreneur to them and they like, they have like a PTSD reaction to it. And I don't want to see that because here's the deal. The failure rate is way too high in entrepreneurship. Like way too, you're talking about 80, 90%. I believe this, and you might disagree with these, this from like a philosophical standpoint, but I'm a big fan of, the world has a lot of problems, right? I think we see that. You can turn the news and see that. I don't think that's solved by bureaucrats. I think it's solved by people like the people listening to this right now. People like me and you, people like Elon Musk sending missiles to Mars, right? Creating, you know, energy, energy and more clean energy solutions, right? People like, like Amazon, Jeff Bezos. Those are the people that change the world, right? It's individuals with, a, with an idea of doing something better or at least pushing the needle forward. So we really desperately need people taking not only to provide a sustainable living for themselves, but we need people actually pushing the envelope forward, creating new opportunities. It's not just for you. You're going to hire people. We have an entire team. And those people are compensated probably three to four times better than they were before they started working for us. That has an impact. That has an impact on their families. It has an impact on every, I mean, they're able to provide for their families in ways that they couldn't do before, right? So it has a ripple effect if we're all doing that, right? And this is not meant to be like the woo side of what I'm saying here, but it does have more of an impact than maybe you realize on society at large, but also with your locality, with what you can actually directly impact with your community, whether it's Larry in Dallas or me in Austin or whatever, it has an impact. So for me, that's kind of a personal mission is helping people get it done the right way. This is so new. So I'm trying to mechanize it to a way where more people can repeat that process to do it successfully so they can do crazy, amazing things and donate to charities that they love and give to give back to places that they, that are meaningful to them or do things that benefit the world in a positive way while also providing themselves an amazing livelihood that they love. I'm an entrepreneur. This is not a career for me. This is a lifestyle. I am unemployable, chronically unemployable. This doesn't work for me. And Larry, too many years of my life were spent miserable. I'm talking like calling my mom in college crying because I'm like, mom, I just want to be like everybody else, but I'm not. At the time, I didn't know what that was, but it was that I was an entrepreneur. So we have to make this more relevant, more real for people because the world is not built for entrepreneurs. The world is built for you to fit inside of a cubicle. That's just the reality of it. It is. So we need more people out there building things, teaching people how to do this because there's a lot of people out there that desperately need this because it's who they are. They're not choosing to be this way, right? So anyways, that's my, the end of my little diatribe there, but it's very important that we're getting this right because it's very, it can be very painful if you don't. I think we as entrepreneurs really need to take into account that one of the first things that we need to do, one of our responsibilities is to constantly provide value. And that's not just in our services. That's not just making sure that we fulfill our end of a financial transaction by going, here's my product or service that you paid for, but it's providing value on a global scale, on an emotional scale. So even though you might've got a little touchy feely, I think that we need to be more in tune with the touchy-feely side of things. I think more often, we as human beings, if we were a little more in touch with the touchy-feely side of things, we'd have a few less problems. Yeah, and I think there's not enough men in this space that are having those touchy-feely type, really like why-driven conversation. And I'm not trying to stereotype here, but I think a lot of the quote-unquote influencers that you see 
that fit the, the narrative that I was describing before are typically men, right? Where it's like, oh, well, these paid models and these rented cars and stuff like that. And it's like, it's funny, man. I wanted, like desperately wanted there to be more like people like me, like entrepreneurs back in the day. And I got what I wanted now, but like, of course you never get it how you fully want it, right? Because it's like, oh my God, now I got all these like influencers and cutting through this noise, all this BS and stuff like that. It's really frustrating. But I think there's definitely a lot of male ego wrapped up in, you know, not being in touch with like the real why of, of why you should start a business. Because none of those things, you know, when I was in that season, like I said, of like, mom, I just want to fit in. That's not what was pulling me was like money, cars and clothes and, you know, rented, you know, whatever. Like that wasn't what it was. It was just belonging and fitting in and providing an impact and influence. And there's a lot of people out there like that that just don't have anybody to follow. And it's kind of given the industry a bad reputation to a large degree where people are like, oh God, here we go. Another like hokey little pitch about how I can make, you know, a million dollars in my sleep overnight. You know, it's just very, it's very frustrating. So people like you, Larry and me, I feel like we have a lot of work to do to overcome some of that. You got to 10 X that shit, brother. Yeah. I love Grant. I love Grant's been on my show. I love Grant, but he's, he can be a little much. I don't know where, Oh, here we go. Yeah. Don't think, you know, I got my 10 (laughs) X. But yeah, man, a hundred percent. It's, it, there needs to be that balance. There definitely needs to be that balance. And I, I think we're, I think we're moving towards that though. I see a lot of changes in the industry and in the environment that demonstrates that those changes are on the horizon and they're slowly making their way forward. So, well, Chris, where can people find out more about startup you and find out more about Chris? Yeah. So everyone's social media, I'm at Hey CMH. It's like, Hey, like, hello CMH. Uh, and you can go to my website, which is Hey CMH.com. So that's an easy way to get in touch with me there to learn more about startup. You, I would actually first, if, if your audience have a free freebie for them to kind of check out, I have an ultimate startup checklist. So if a lot of people are interested in like leaving that job and transitioning over and all that good jazz, and, you know, kind of maybe exploring starting their own thing. This kind of gives you the blueprint that we've talked about as far as what to be looking for and the things you have to do, right? So that's Ultimate Startup Checklist. So that's USC, like Ultimate Startup Checklist, download.com. Now, here's the deal. When you download that, uh, there's actually a free class put together. It's like 45 minutes of more or less of what I just talked about, but also I'm going to be covering the three top mistakes we see people make going through the process that I just talked about. And it has a lot to do with content and developing that ideal client avatar profile, but expanding on that notion. So if you're interested, that USC download to get the checklist, plus you'll immediately be invited to that class. You can check out both of those resources 100% free. So it's a lot of value, uh, again, all for free. And then if you want to go straight to checking out Startup U, I recommend getting those two resources first, but getstartupu.com is where you go to learn more about everything we're offering within Startup U. Man, I really appreciate every minute that you spent with us today. It was a tremendous amount of value. And I, for one, am super appreciative. So thank you once again. And anything we can ever do, let me know, man. Yeah, well, I do have a quick ask for your audience. In addition to the resource that is mentioned, guys, what Larry does putting together, like all the the stuff that you don't see behind the scenes, even it's just like the investment he's made and what he's done here with his backdrop, which is incredible. But it's a lot of work to provide the value that he's providing to you. So my quick ask, it's going to take you 27 seconds, I promise. And if it's wrong, you can literally leave me a bad review on my show and be like, Chris lied, it wasn't 27 seconds. Whatever podcast app you're using right now, do two things. And I'm going to tell you why in a second. Hit subscribe and leave a quick review. Even if you say great chat, that's it. The reason why is because podcast players, those apps, they look at two things. They look at new subscribers and new reviews, not downloads. A lot of people think it's downloads. Those are the two most important factors that help you move up the charts. So I have a buddy that's Right now in the top 200, top 100 podcast shows in the world, 
because he did those two things. So if you love what Larry's provided to you, it's like leaving a tip for your waiter or waitress to leave them a review. It's 100% free to do so. It literally will take you 27 seconds. I would be eternally grateful if you would provide that for my friend. Of course. Wow. I can't ask for anything better than that, man. You asked for me. That is tremendous. And thank you so much once again, Chris. I appreciate it, brother. All right. We'll talk soon. See ya. All right, guys. Loved it. Enjoyed it. Thanks so much.